EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church pastors by established church pastors. My name is Josh, and I am joined with my co-host, Micah. How's it going today? Good, man. It's uh, it's good, man. We just, uh, we're recording this on a Monday, so we're both in the office after uh, the weekend of worship. So let me ask you this. Are you a guy, you know, I hear some pastors who are like, man, Mondays are always the hardest day of the week for me. You know, some folks take Mondays off. Is that you, or do you prefer, how do you feel on Mondays generally after the weekend? I mean, I'm kind of a mix. I, I, I understand why people take it off. It's hard. It's a beating. But then I'd rather have my Friday, Saturday together, my days off together. So like, unlike you, you have a Saturday evening service. So I have a full two days off yeah, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, no, we, yeah. So we, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of that way. I mean, I, I really, um, I love Mondays. Mondays are almost my favorite day of the week. Like I love coming in really? after Sunday. I feel like Monday is sort of a clean slate. It's an energizing time for me, and I feel like I get a lot done on Mondays. Yeah, I, Mondays are some of my favorite favorite days. Yeah, I'm not mad at Monday, but I mean, I can see why sometimes it gets real hard. But most of the time, I'm with you. It's well, it's a good day. Get started. I, I would say too, you and I both, and we both have the privilege of serving pretty healthy churches. And uh, I mean, they've got their issues. They have the flu right. from time to time, or a head cold from time to time. But generally, our churches are pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some folks <laughs> listening who are serving rough places, and. Uh, they're serving with some rough leaders and I could right. absolutely understand in those environments why Mondays would be hard. So if you're listening and you're thinking, man, why aren't Mondays that happy for me? It's okay. I get it. Sometimes uh, depends on the context. Right. Are you watching the winter Olympics? You know, I was planning to, and so far I have not. Mm. I can't, I can't get excited about it. I'm just not that guy. So, yeah. um, to each their own. I know I have one Twitter friend who is just, alive about it you know yeah. um you, you and i both know him he's down in birmingham yeah. and he is all about it and uh but i just i just can't it's not my thing yeah so. i mean i i will watch it again i mean from time to time i'll watch it but you know i'm not a figure skating guy that's what's been on recently so you know and my girl <laughs> you're not i mean my girls like it a little <laughs> bit but not enough to sit down and watch it they they just don't get that into yeah. it so now, the bigger right. issue is that uh, when we're recording this tomorrow, pitchers and catchers report for the Royals. So life is about to be really good. And I ha- actually happen to need to be in Phoenix for a meeting in two or three weeks. And uh, I'm landing about six hours before my meeting. So I absolutely rented a car and I'm driving out to spring training for a few hours. You're going to go see the Rangers? Uh, they share a complex with the Royals. So I'm sure I will see <laughs> some of the Rangers around. But. I'm Yay. planning to go see the Royals. I've, I'm going to take my Salvi jersey and see if I can find Salvi for an autograph. Man, I hope you do. I hope you do. And um, for our listeners who listen for a while, they know full well that you and Sam are big baseball guys. And so I'm excited for you guys. Big Although guy. I'm of that that small majority that's just like, when does football start again? Wait a minute. Did you this, just say a small majority? Yeah, because you know we're, we, we, we get made fun of a little bit because we're not America's sport. But yeah, that's it's right. the majority of us. 
So I I hear you. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm going to let that one pass and I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Go football, American football. All right. So let's talk about a topic that I think a lot of people deal with. And what we were calling it before the show started was transient members, just people moving in and out. And this, this is a broad range of topics, right? It is. And it might, might be something that we want to ultimately break up into multiple shows. But, you know, for the sake of what we're talking about today, we're talking about those members who are in every church. Almost everybody listening to this podcast can relate to this. They've, they're a member at your church right now, but they've been a member of two or three other churches in your area, or mm-hmm. they're not a member in, in your church right now because they used to be, but they've moved on to two or three other churches. Mm-hmm. We have this sort of transient member. How do we approach them? What do we do about them? What if they were a member and they left for a, for a few months and now they've come back and they want to just roll right in and just act like everything is all good? And yep. uh, how do you handle that? I know you've had a little bit of a situation like that, Josh, where you've had some folks who uh, were there and then left and they were gone for a few months and they come back are, are, when they come back, let me ask you this. Are they wanting to come right back in and just function as if they never left? They were members and they want to step in and take their roles like they were, or how does that play out for you? You know, it's different because I've had it in the last week. I've had this two times, two sort of experiences with transient members. I had one who left under really kind of shady terms, real quiet. Nobody knew why um, he was serving in leadership and, and he and his family were very involved and always had everything. And then they just left, like gone. And nobody knew why. So we kept calling, kept asking. I did myself try to tra- tra- track that down. And that was over a year ago. And then last week I get a call from him that's just like, hey, are we still friends? You know, and so there was this whole relational <laughs> side of things that was like, man, I don't know. And, you know, I right. I ended up talking to him about that. We could talk a little bit more in the show about that. But then um, had another meeting with some um they they never lost their membership according to our bylaws. They were still sort of in the membership group, and uh, they left for some reasons. And that one actually worked out different than I've ever had it work out, but also a bit. It takes you back as a pastor because they left under you know some um, they had some feelings and they left because of those feelings. And then before they got back active, they wanted to sit down with us and say, "This is what kind of hurt my feelings, and mm-hmm. I want to get back." In. So that's not bad. That's actually very good. You know, you'd rather have that than just like, what are you doing? And then, uh, yeah, they showed back up. So, you know, there's those two situations. Another situation that has hit us pretty hard in the past is people who have left under bad circumstances, like mean, there's fighting. They left for a while, came back and said, we want to be back to members. How does that work? And we have a whole process in our bylaws that works with that. So you know, here recently, I've been dealing with it quite a bit, and it's weird. Each case is so different. But you guys then are different, I think, than the average person listening to this podcast episode, right? The average person does not have a mechanism in their bylaws where if someone leaves for a few months, they roll out of membership. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the average person, if someone walked away for a few months and then came back, really probably has no formal method of, or process in place. Uh, for them to even consider what that role or relationship looks like. I mean, I would imagine for the average person who's listening to this, if a person left for a few months and then came back, they're going to likely have no recourse but to just allow them to walk Mm -hmm. right back into church life like they already were. And I think that's, you know, you take one more step back. It's not because their bylaws don't say anything about how to get them back in. It's because their bylaws or their system doesn't say anything about them losing membership. That's That's why you'll have people for 20 years, they've never been to the church, but they still hold their membership there. And when there's a conflict, 
they show back up, right? And they're and they're voting on land sales or pastor hires or something like that. So yeah, or if if they haven't been around the church forever, but the only time they show up is to vote for you know that sort of thing. In fact, right. that happened to that happened to my dad. I my dad went in view of the call. I remember I was probably sick. Well, let's see, I was eighteen years old. My dad went in view of a call to a church. They loved him. He preached, uh, but the vote wasn't for another week after he preached. And in that week, one or two members who didn't like him stirred up a whole bunch of members who haven't been to the church in a long time. They showed up like 50 of them in mass that Sunday. And mm -hmm. he, the, he didn't, he's, he got a majority of the votes, but he didn't get the majority necessary to be elect, you know, to be chosen as the next pastor. Wow. And so, yeah, in my mind, this is not just theoretical. This is real. I mean, I watched it. Oh, happen, yeah. you know? It happens and a lot. That's so, why one of the things I suggest for people is when you come in and everything's good, uh, go ahead and try to, Maybe look at, if you can, if the if the setting's right, all the changes are right there for you, go ahead and look at that sort of decision. It's, it's what I call gaining control or influence over the decision-making process. Yeah. So if members are the ones who vote on things, what is a member? How do you lose membership? How do you get it back, et cetera? Those things are very helpful down the road. Yeah. It helps you in a lot of situations. So yeah, I think would you advocate right. for that? Or do you uh, think that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I would we, we advocate for what you're calling gaining control of the situation. No, I mean, you said we're a bit odd because we have some sort of like how you get back in. Is oh, that weird? I see. Would I advocate for that? Yeah. Yes. The answer is that I would advocate for every church to have clearly defined membership expectations, a clearly defined accountability process if those expectations are not met. And then a clearly defined restoration process for someone who has not met those expectations but wants to walk mm. back into uh, church life. So I would advocate for that. Now, having said that, um, while our process is further along than it was at, at Brainerd, we're not there mm. yet either. I mean, we're still in the process. I mean, I've been here um, 19 months or something like that now. Yeah, it's a little early. And so 18 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're still early in the process. But but yeah, I would say that you're right. I think that's I, I think ambiguity has not been our friend mm -hmm. in church governance. Mm -hmm. We've been ambiguous for a long time and I think particularly when it comes to membership expectations and we've done it for good out of good motivation, but it's led to some really bad results. Right. So our motivation was right. broaden the tent, get as many members as we can. That's got to be better for the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. But what we found is that while watering down expectations, we actually um we do the reverse of what we're trying to accomplish. Right. People less people right. come and they're less committed. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Rainer wrote a book about this a long time ago called High Expectations. That would be a really good book for people to, to grab and take a look at if they want to think through this idea. Yeah. So in our bylaws, it's uh, you got you got certain time frames. So after six months of not contributing in any way, that means serving, giving or attending. Then you go into what we call an inactive status. You still have membership, but you right. can't vote. So it's sort of a purgatory. And I realize right. that's that's not necessarily biblical, but. Um, it, it's, the, it's the pragmatic functions because what it does for us, you may say, well, why do you do that? Aren't you just applying too much grace or something? Well, we're all, we're good with grace. We like a lot of grace, but the other side of it is it triggers certain processes. And so at that point in our membership software, when people fall into that category, it triggers a certain follow-up process from the staff. Now, before that time, we have small groups, leaders who are supposed to be keeping that from happening, but occasionally they do fall into that status. And then after a year of, um, of this kind of, so six months after you fall into inactive, you are giving up your membership. You are right. what we call relinquishing it. 
And so um, they know that coming in. We explain this. And before you can join the church, you, we explain this. And so a lot of people ask me, how did we get our roles so cleaned up? Because when I took this church, I was averaging 100 people with 2,000 members. How did we oh, get it cleaned up? We enacted new bylaws. And after that next year, a year after our new bylaws, our roles cleaned themselves up because all of those people no longer were members. And so that's just the way the bylaws worked out for us. And it worked out good and healthy and there was no fighting. Of course, that won't work everywhere, but that's kind of how we did it. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And I think that's going to be, um, I think that's going to be key as as people, you know, walk into their places of service and begin to try and help move them towards um help move them towards health and, and stability. Let me ask you this, Josh, let's, let's talk about the other end. What about mm -hmm. folks who have been members of one or two or three area churches, and now they're coming to uh, be a part of Saxe's church? Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? What do you think about that? Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. And sometimes I feel like I'm getting jaded the longer I'm a pastor, you know, and so you start to look at people kind of cross-eyed they come into the church and you're meeting them for the first time that first Sunday or whatever. And one of the first questions I ask is, so how did you hear about us? Did somebody bring you here or did you Google it? And that'll usually, you know, lead to the second question is, so were you attending a church in Wiley or Murphy or, you know, whatever town that they're living in? And they'll usually give me their story. And if it's one of those stories of, you can immediately tell, usually the story is, well, we've been sort of out of church since we got married and the kids are born now, we're, we're thinking about getting back in, or we just moved to the area we're looking. But there are those handful of people who say, yeah, we were attending such and such Baptist, and it's just not working out for us, so we're, we're going to be here. Oh, okay, well, I know the pastor over there. How long were you guys there? Oh, for, you know, at least the last two years. That, to me, triggers something where I need to figure out, why were you only at a church for two years, and it's not working out for you now, and so now you're coming here. Uh, so that helps a lot. And uh, I, it doesn't make me say, oh, man, these people are trouble. It does make me ask some questions, particularly if I know the pastor. And I, my personal assessment is he's a pretty decent guy and he's leading well and those sort of things. Or if I know through coffee conversations with him that they just made a transition, something that's healthy, then. So I, I think to answer your question directly, skeptical, but not not foreboding I'm, I'm still going to kind of ask him a little bit more what about yeah, you so, well i would say it depends i mean i i think the description that you just provided you know someone who is um you know has yeah been out of it for a couple of years or someone who um is walking the, the church has just gone through a significant transition i mean those are one thing i i think every church i've served in i i can think of people who um I've been a member of two or three area churches and then, you know, they came to the one that I'm serving. And in each case, not maybe I shouldn't say each case, but in so many cases, it seems like their response, well, why'd you leave X church or Y church or Z church? Oh, well, you know, there was this problem or that problem. I'll be honest with you. When I find people who consistently have a problem at two or three churches, it's going to alert me. Um, to sort of be on the lookout. And, and here's mm -hmm. the struggle. Uh, the average church is 85 in worship. So let's just assume the average person listening to us is at an average church. Mm -hmm. When you're a church of 85 in worship, or even a church of 150 in worship or something like that, and you get a family of five or six, 
regardless of why they left previous churches and whatever their history is, it's going to be appealing to you to want to have them be at, at your church, right? Because that's, right. um, you know, I mean, that's a pretty sizable increase in attendance. And, mm -hmm. um, and so we have a tendency to want to overlook or look past some of those, you know, some of those potential danger, uh, signs or warning signs. But I would say be cautious about someone who is constantly discontented and finding reasons to leave from church after church after church. Sometimes those can be legitimate. I don't want to dismiss mm -hmm. that. There are right, times right. when those can be legit, but in my experience, often, um, they're not as legit. It's not that they're completely illegitimate, but they're not as legitimate as the person makes them out to be. You just have a discontented person or, mm -hmm. you know, a person who thinks they have the gift of discernment or something, you know, or the gift or, or, or there tends to be, there can be a lot of spiritual pride. Uh, I remember a, a person once who was a member of the church who had been a member of multiple other churches and they came to our church and we were real excited about them, had a lot of biblical wisdom and knowledge, or I should say knowledge more so than wisdom and mm -hmm. uh, started teaching a class. And then I was preaching a series on one of the Pauline epistles and he, he came to me one day and he goes, why do you always preach from Paul's letters? I said, well, I don't always preach from Paul's letters, but he did write more books than anybody else in the new Testament. I mean, <laughs> we <can't> avoid him. <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, I have a problem with Paul. I think Paul oh, wow. was arrogant. I think, we, I think we make Paul out to be a good guy. I think Paul was a bad guy. I think Paul was arrogant. And I don't think we ought to teach that much from Paul. And my jaw kind of hit the ground. And I was like, well, <laughs> I think it's all inspired, you know? So I think God wrote right. it all. I think it came from, you know, and so I, I said, that's my argument. That's my position. And uh, all of a sudden I realized here's a guy with a lot of biblical knowledge, but maybe there's a reason why he kept leaving these other churches. Maybe so. Uh, yeah. There's some spiritual arrogance when he set himself up over the, the authority of the Bible. So that's, that's all I'm saying. I think you have to, you don't discount. Absolutely. Do not discount folks who are come from other churches. I will say this um, at the last church I served, we did this. We haven't done this here at Brainerd yet, though. I think we're going to in the near future. Uh, we put together a letter. We had different letters for guests who would come. And mm -hmm. uh, if a guest came to us and marked on their communication card uh, or their guest, you know, their guest card, I'm a member of another local church. We would send them a letter specifically that said, hey, thanks so much for joining us in worship. We appreciate your time with us. We hope it was encouraging and edifying. Uh, we noticed that you're a member of a local church. We know that there are occasionally legitimate biblical reasons why you would need to leave a local church and come to our church. If that's the case, please seek out one of our pastors for a private meeting before pursuing membership at our church. Otherwise, we would encourage you to go back to your local church and be a faithful member. We want to be a blessing to our sister churches, not a drain. And mm. so we wrote a letter that said something along those lines. So anybody who came to our church and checked, I'm a member of a local church in that area, they got that letter. But we wanted to be very clear. We're trying to help those who don't know Christ and those who are far from God. Generally, that's who we're looking to, to work toward, uh, seeing come right. to be a part of our church. We're not interested in just swapping sheep with other churches. Right. Well, you know, another thing that people are somewhat nervous to intact, but I think is a great idea. We actually require that anybody seeking membership at Saxe's Church has a conversation with one of the elders or pastors, depending on your setup, before they can. It's just one of the requirements. They also have to read and sign copies of the bylaws, the Constitution and the faith statement. And then there's a what we call a membership agreement or a covenant. Some people call it that, which kind of boils everything down and it says, this is what you can expect of the elders. This is what you can expect of the church. This is what will be expected of you. So right. we have all of that. But if you can't get to that point, because there are some people who just, maybe their church history or their denominational history won't do the covenant side of things. I do strongly suggest having at least a conversation with a pastor before joining 
or a minister or a staff member, because what you can do, you can cover, you can root out so many things and you can do it in a conversational tone. So tell me about that church. What brought you to that church? And I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody and said, okay, well then what happens if I do that? How are you going to handle it if Right. I start, you know, if I hire somebody that you don't agree with because, the, you know, well, they hired somebody we didn't agree with or they changed the name of the church or something like that. What will happen? And helping them in, in a kind way, saying something along the lines of I had a conversation with a person one time that came to our church because their church changed the name of their church. And I said, well, you do know the name of our church is not the old name of your church. So right. you're going to change names of churches, period. Right. Why not stay with your relationships and go over there? And just helping them see you might be getting upset about something that's not really worth getting upset. Do you ever have conversations with the other pastor? We have. I, I, I don't always necessarily have that conversation. I'm, I'm not the pastor who's over our membership process. But yes, mm-hmm. um, we've had, we actually just, we had a brand, we had a case of this just not long ago. That's a great example. Um, we had someone go through our membership process. We have a class called membership matters. Mm -hmm. It's offered quarterly and everybody has to go through that in order to go through the membership process. And we had someone go through the membership matters process and say, Hey, I want to be a member. And, uh, when they applied for membership, we always send a request to the church they're currently a member of. And this person was coming from a local church. So we, uh, and I know the pastor fairly well. I drive by the church every day on my way home. And so, uh, our pastor who's over, our membership process sent a request to the church and we got a requ- uh, an answer back from the church that said, we can't recommend him to join you in membership because he's under church discipline Wow, from our church. Uh, and so our pastor picked up the phone, called the senior pastor of that church and said, Hey, we got this. Can you help us to know what's going on here? Mm-hmm. That pastor said, uh, he's been the pastor of that church for almost two decades. He said, I've never had another local church pastor call me when we contacted them and let them know a member was under church discipline. Really? This is the first time it's ever happened. And it turned out that in his case, this person had just been placed under church discipline for inactivity. He was a member who quit coming, quit giving, and he had just fallen out. And so the pastor said, look, in our minds, he's repentant because he's coming to church. You know, he's engaging. And so we, they removed him from church discipline. He joined our church and now he's a member and he's an active member of our church. That's good. And, uh, and so we're thankful for that. It was a good story. It's a great example of how the process ought to work in my mind. Mm. But yeah, so we do do that. I mean, we'll, if we have, if we find out that there's anything going on now, we don't do that with every person who transfers from a local church, right. uh, where we have a personal conversation with the pastor. Uh, but if there's anything that comes up, we're glad to do that. Yeah. Have that conversation. When I was first, the first church I was on staff at, we had a person come in who I was student minister. They, they had uh, teenage daughters. The daughters came into the student ministry. They had, and this is another thing. I, I kind of caught this in your story earlier. Usually these people that go from church to church to church, they come in with sort of a, like a gung-ho attitude. They've got a lot of energy. They've got some biblical knowledge. They seem to be the kind of person you really want in your church. They're almost always, they hardly ever are the kind of people that just come in and are real rude and mean at first. They, they seem to be the ones you want, especially in a smaller context. And this guy did that. And he started taking over our little college ministry we had at that church because we were near a, a you know, a 5,000 student uh, junior college there. And, and everything was kind of rolling. But then all of a sudden, we start getting all of these um, red flags, these triggers that are like, stuff's going on in the college ministry that shouldn't be. There's teaching going on in there that shouldn't be. So we started to kind of ask about it and, and try to uncover what was going on. And yeah, the guy was starting trouble, kind of creating his own little group and against the lead pastor of that church. And 
the 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 point of the story is after about two years of this person and a lot of conflict and loss in members and stress, all that sort of stuff, after he leaves, another local pastor tells me, oh, yeah, he's done that to two or three churches. And I said, why didn't you tell us? And they said, right. I don't know. It's none of my business what you do in your church. And I kind of feel like uh, it is. Yeah. If you know that sort of stuff, let the other guy know, I think. Yeah, I think that's – I mean, I think if you have uh, – so – this is where autonomy, and of course, we come from a particular tradition um, that practices autonomy. You know, by by that we mean each church is independent, disconnected, you know, that sort of thing, and we're proud about that. So I would say, um, for those of us who practice that, there's we sort of hold up that as the ultimate ideal to be constantly separate and independent. And I would agree that that's a good ideal um, in. Uh, if we understand that that means that doesn't mean we never have any in, in, interconnected relationship with one another. If, if there's a member who causes damage and moves on from us somewhere else, we have an obligation just as a friend to say something to someone. This person has caused persistent damage. Now, I would say there's a difference between someone who's frustrating and annoying and someone who causes damage. I can think of an example of that here recently where someone who was just a more challenging member, um, tried to, you know, he, he, he was just a challenging member to work with. And then we just got word a, a couple of months ago that he's now engaged in another local church. And they're actually really happy that he's there and he's teaching a Sunday school class. And it's a church that really could use his help. And, and he's been a blessing to them. So there's one thing if, if a person's frustrating or challenging or difficult to deal with. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who causes dissension in the church. Someone who openly engages in sinful behavior. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Right. That I think right. we do have an obligation just as a friend to at least say something to somebody. Hey, this is a person who, if they're in your church, you need to engage them in the process of helping disciple them to be closer to Jesus. Yeah. Which also speaks to the idea that we should be better friends with the other local pastors, at least on talking terms, where you can pick up the phone and say, hey, what about this person? There's a local pastor here who I'm always amazed at his knowledge of all of his previous members exactly where they've gone. And so he, he knows that we've got such and such over at this church and you've got so-and-so they came from us. And, and so, and a lot of times, you know, and we will be real honest, let's let a lot of us off the hook. A lot of the people who move from church to church don't put or disclose where they, that they came from. Another. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so you can't, we can't root this whole thing out, but the part that we can do is helpful. I've got a slight spin on this. I wonder what you think about this. This is, you know, I guess it's kind of related, but it may go off topic. So bear with me. All right. What about other pastors? I mean, there's a lot of times uh, not. Okay. So I'll tell you this specific example without giving names and things. There's um when, when I was younger, a student minister, there's another guy who kind of ran loosely in our circles, not completely in our circles. And he was fired from two churches in a row for sexual misconduct yeah. uh, as a student pastor, sexual misconduct. There was a denominational worker that kept getting him new positions kind of just on different parts. And, you know, Texas is huge, so right. you can go off different directions. You guys are your own country. Right. Do we have any obligation yes. to say something to the next church, right? If, if Okay. So I would say it's one thing if uh, I've got friends who have moved two or three times in five years and there doesn't appear to be any misconduct. I don't know of any evidence of that. There's just... Either it's a bad fit or whatever. That's one thing. But if we have evidence that someone is um, sexual misconduct is a good example. The church has been way too 
quiet for way too long on issues of sexual misconduct. We shouldn't ever let that go. If we know someone has been engaged in sexual, sexual misconduct, we have an obligation. I think if we hear that they're looking at going to a new church, letting that church know, um, I would also say if you're a church hiring somebody, this is one of the reasons why I don't do open calls for resumes almost ever and just hire whoever has the best resume. Um, I hire people who are somehow connected to somebody else I know so I can trust what I'm being told about them. And and if it is someone that you're just looking at a resume and you don't personally know them, I would highly recommend that you not only contact their references, but that you ask their references for two or three names each and you go two, two or three layers deep with references so that, um, so that you know that you're, or, or as much as possible, you know, you're getting a good, uh, sample of opinions because just their references alone, that's an insufficient source of information. They're the ones providing those references to you. They're only going to provide references to you that give you the sort of things they want you to know. So if you can ask the references for references and, and even go three deep, three layers deep with that, then you begin to get a real picture of, of the individual. So I would say there's both a responsibility on the church's part. It's amazing to me how many churches don't do background checks or reference checks or that sort of thing when they're hiring somebody. You have an obligation to do that. And then secondly, on the other side, if we know of something, again, don't be a jerk who tries to derail uh, you know, careers if someone is just, yeah, they struggled two or three churches in a around. row, that sort of thing, but they're not practicing in what I would call pastoral malpractice. If someone's engaged in pastoral malpractice, they have misused their position um, in a way that's unethical, illegal, or immoral, then we probably have some sort of responsibility to at least pick up the phone and call someone at that church and, and ask them to consider this. Yeah. I've actually talked to people on other churches and said, you know, he's got a pattern. He goes in and, you know, it doesn't last longer than three years. There's a, there's a large amount of debt that he leaves behind and then he goes on to the next one. And I think you should look at that. If that's not something that you're concerned with, don't worry about it. But I think it's something you should examine. And um, one time actually speaking to another church friend and saying, this was a staff person. So I was talking to the other pastor. I said, I think you should look at this pattern. There was very short tenures and they went from church to church to church to church and caused some issues there. And actually by me saying that, they said, that's not true. The the person had been at this church for five years. I said, no, he hadn't. And so they showed me the resume and the resume was wrong. It was just flat wrong. And I said, call this church. I can confirm that that's not true. And so you want to uncover those things. And again, like you're saying, you're not wanting to derail somebody. Sometimes ministers or pastors go through hard times and so they're just moving on or or their stages of life like they went to a church and then they went to get married and they need to you know make a little bit more income and then they sure. they get children they go to another stage those are those are normal and okay but if you know that somebody has a sin issue and is going and hurting churches then then I think that you should say something another practice that I've done which is kind of helpful is I looked to hire a guy who is serving in a city which I called a friend of mine who was the pastor of a church in that same city and said, do you know him over there at this church? And a lot of times you do. You kind of know some things. And thankfully, in this case, the guy gave a glowing review of the other church's right. staff person. So, um, so that's helpful. So, well, good. It's a lot of stuff here. I think, I think the bottom line is, look, we're shepherds. And so we're trying to protect sheep. And if you see it that way, then you're going to be very careful of what you let into the membership. You're also going to be kind of concerned what's going to go over there and lead those sheep in some way, you know? Right. Exactly. So it's been a good episode. Thanks for talking to me about it. Absolutely. Man. 
as always. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll check you out next week. Uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, and we'll see you online. Peace. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.